This is section six of Old Times on the Mississippi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Times on the Mississippi by Mark Twain, Chapter Six. Official rank and dignity of a pilot. The rise and decadence of the Pilots Association. In my preceding articles, I have tried, by going into the minutiae of the science of piloting, to carry the reader step by step to a comprehension of what the science consists of, and at the same time I have tried to show him that it is a very curious and wonderful science too, and very worthy of his attention. If I have seemed to love my subject, it is no surprising thing, for I loved the profession far better than any I have followed since, and I took a measureless pride in it. The reason is plain. A pilot in those days was the only unfettered and entirely independent human being that lived in the earth. Kings are but the hampered servants of Parliament and people. Parliaments sit in chains forged by their constituency. The editor of a newspaper cannot be independent, but must work with one hand tied behind him by party and patrons, and be content to utter only half or two-thirds of his mind. No clergyman is a free man, and may speak the whole truth, regardless of his parish's opinion. Writers of all kinds are manacled servants of the public. We write frankly and fearlessly, but then we modify before we print. In truth, every man and woman and child has a master, and worries and frets in servitude. But in the day I write of, the Mississippi pilot had none. The captain could stand upon the hurricane deck, in the pomp of a very brief authority, and give him five or six orders, while the vessel backed into the stream, and then that skipper's reign was over. The moment that the boat was under way in the river, she was under the sole and unquestioned control of the pilot. He could do with her exactly as he pleased, run her when and whither he chose, and tie her up to the bank whenever his judgment said that that course was best. His movements were entirely free. He consulted no one, he received commands from nobody, he promptly resented even the merest suggestions. Indeed, the law of the United States forbade him to listen to commands or suggestions, rightly considering that the pilot necessarily knew better how to handle the boat than anybody could tell him. So here was the novelty of a king without a keeper, an absolute monarch who was absolute in sober truth and not by a fiction of words. I have seen a boy of eighteen taking a great steamer serenely into what seemed almost certain destruction, and the aged captain standing mutely by, filled with apprehension but powerless to interfere. His interference in that particular instance might have been an excellent thing, but to permit it would have been to establish the most pernicious precedent. It will easily be guessed, considering the pilot's boundless authority, that he was a great personage in the old steamboating days. He was treated with marked courtesy by the captain, and with marked deference by all the officers and servants. And this deferential spirit was quickly communicated to the passengers, too. I think pilots were about the only people I ever knew who failed to show, in some degree, embarrassment in the presence of travelling foreign princes. 
but then people in one's own grade of life are not usually embarrassing objects by long habit pilots came to put all their wishes in the form of commands it gravels me to this day to put my will in the weak shape of a request instead of launching it in the crisp language of an order in those days to load a steamboat at st louis take her to new orleans and back and discharge cargo consumed about twenty-five days on an average seven or eight of these days the boat spent at the wharves of st louis and new orleans and every soul on board was hard at work except the two pilots they did nothing but play gentlemen uptown and received the same wages for it as if they had been on duty the moment the boat touched the wharf at either city they were ashore and they were not likely to be seen again till the last bell was ringing and everything in readiness for another voyage when a captain got hold of a pilot of particularly high reputation he took pains to keep him when wages were four hundred dollars a month on the upper mississippi i have known a captain to keep such a pilot in idleness under full pay three months at a time while the river was frozen up and one must remember that in those cheap times four hundred dollars was a salary of almost inconceivable splendor few men on shore got such pay as that and when they did they were mightily looked up to when pilots from either end of the river wandered into our small missouri village they were sought by the best and the fairest and treated with exalted respect lying in port under wages was a thing which many pilots greatly enjoyed and appreciated especially if they belonged in the missouri river in the heyday of that trade kansas times and got nine hundred dollars a trip which was equivalent to about eighteen hundred dollars a month here is a conversation of that day a chap out of the illinois river with a little stern-wheel tub accosts a couple of ornate and gilded missouri river pilots gentlemen i've got a pretty good trip for the up-country and shall want you about a month how much will it be eighteen hundred dollars apiece heavens and earth you take my boat let me have your wages i'll divide i will remark in passing that mississippi steamboatmen were important in landsmen's eyes and in their own too in a degree according to the dignity of the boat they were on for instance it was a proud thing to be of the crew of such stately craft as the aleck scott or the grand turk negro firemen deckhands and barbers belonging to those boats were distinguished personages in their grade of life and they were well aware of that fact too a stalwart darkey once gave offence at a negro ball in new orleans by putting on a good many airs finally one of the managers bustled up to him and said who is you anyway who is you that's what i wants to know the offender was not disconcerted in the least but swelled himself up and threw that into his voice which showed that he knew he was putting on all those airs on a stinted capital who is i who is i i let you know mighty quick who i is i want you niggers to understand that i fires the middle door note one door on to aleck scott that was sufficient the barber of the grand turk was a spruce young negro who aired his importance with balmy complacency 
and was greatly courted by the circle in which he moved the young colored population of new orleans were much given to flirting at twilight on the pavements of the back streets somebody saw and heard something like the following one evening in one of those localities a middle-aged negro woman projected her head through a broken pane and shouted very willing that the neighbors should hear and envy you marianne come to the house dis minute standin out dere foolin long wid dat low trash and here de barber offen the grand turk wants to converse with you my reference a moment ago to the fact that a pilot's peculiar official position placed him out of the reach of criticism or command brings stephen w naturally to my mind he was a gifted pilot a good fellow a tireless talker and had both wit and humor in him he had a most irreverent independence too and was deliciously easy-going and comfortable in the presence of age official dignity and even the most august wealth he always had work he never saved a penny he was a most persuasive borrower he was in debt to every pilot on the river and to the majority of the captains he could throw a sort of splendor around a bit of harum scarum devil-may-care piloting that made it almost fascinating but not to everybody he made a trip with good old gentle-spirited captain y once and was relieved from duty when the boat got to new orleans somebody expressed surprise at the discharge captain y shuddered at the mere mention of stephen then his poor thin old voice piped out something like this why bless me i wouldn't have such a wild creature on my boat for the world not for the whole world he swears he sings he whistles he yells i never saw such an engine to yell all times of the night never made any difference to him he would just yell that way not for anything in particular but merely on account of a kind of devilish comfort he got out of it i never could get into a sound sleep but he would fetch me out of bed all in a cold sweat with one of those dreadful war whoops a queer being very queer being no respect for anything or anybody sometimes he called me johnny and he kept a fiddle and a cat he played execrably this seemed to distress the cat and so the cat would howl nobody could sleep where that man and his family was and reckless there never was anything like it now you may believe it or not but as sure as i am sitting here he brought my boat a tilting down through those awful snags at chicot under a rattling head of steam and the wind a-blowing like the very nation at that my officers will tell you so they saw it and sir while he was a-tearin right down through those snags and i shakin in my shoes and prayin i wish i may never speak again if he didn't pucker up his mouth and go to whistling yes sir whistling buffalo gals can't you come out tonight can't you come out tonight can't you come out tonight and doing it as calmly as if we were attending a funeral and weren't related to the corpse and when i remonstrated with him about it he smiled down on me as if i was his child and told me to run in the house and try to be good and not be meddling with my superiors note one considering a captain's ostentatious but hollow chieftainship and a pilot's real authority there was something impudently apt and happy about that way of phrasing it once a pretty mean captain caught stephen in new orleans out of work and as usual out of money 
he laid steady siege to stephen who was in a very close place and finally persuaded him to hire with him at one hundred and twenty-five dollars per month just half wages the captain agreeing not to divulge the secret and so bring down the contempt of all the guild upon the poor fellow but the boat was not more than a day out of new orleans before stephen discovered that the captain was boasting of his exploit and that all the officers had been told stephen winced but said nothing about the middle of the afternoon the captain stepped out on the hurricane deck cast his eye around and looked a good deal surprised he glanced inquiringly aloft at stephen but stephen was whistling placidly and attending to business the captain stood around a while in evident discomfort and once or twice seemed about to make a suggestion but the etiquette of the river taught him to avoid that sort of rashness and so he managed to hold his peace he chafed and puzzled a few minutes longer then retired to his apartments but soon he was out again and apparently more perplexed than ever presently he ventured to remark with deference pretty good stage of the river now ain't it sir well i should say so bankful is a pretty liberal stage seems to be a good deal of current here good deal don't describe it it's worse than a mill race isn't it easier in toward shore than it is out here in the middle yes i reckon it is but a body can't be too careful with a steamboat it's pretty safe out here can't strike any bottom here you can depend on that the captain departed looking rueful enough at this rate he would probably die of old age before his boat got to st louis next day he appeared on deck and again found stephen faithfully standing up the middle of the river fighting the whole vast force of the mississippi and whistling the same placid tune this thing was becoming serious in by the shore was a slower boat clipping along in the easy water and gaining steadily she began to make for an island shoot stephen stuck to the middle of the river speech was wrung from the captain he said mr w don't that shoot cut off a good deal of distance i think it does but i don't know don't know well isn't there water enough in it now to go through i expect there is but i am not certain upon my word this is odd why those pilots on that boat yonder are going to try it do you mean to say that you don't know as much as they do they why they are two hundred and fifty dollar pilots but don't you be uneasy i know as much as any man can afford to know for a hundred and twenty-five five minutes later stephen was bowling through the chute and showing the rival boat a two hundred and fifty dollar pair of heels one day on board that aleck scott my chief mr b was crawling carefully through a close place at cat island both leads going and everybody holding his breath the captain a nervous apprehensive man kept still as long as he could but finally broke down and shouted from the hurricane deck for gracious sake give her steam mr b give her steam she'll never raise the reef on this headway for all the effect that was produced upon mr b one would have supposed that no remark had been made but five minutes later when the danger was past and the leads laid in he burst instantly into a consuming fury and gave the captain the most admirable cursing i ever listened to 
no bloodshed ensued but that was because the captain's cause was weak for ordinarily he was not a man to take correction quietly having now set forth in detail the nature of the science of piloting and likewise described the rank which the pilot held among the fraternity of steamboat men this seems a fitting place to say a few words about an organization which the pilots once formed for the protection of their guild it was curious and noteworthy in this that it was perhaps the compactest the completest and the strongest commercial organization ever formed among men for a long time wages had been two hundred and fifty dollars a month but curiously enough as steamboats multiplied and business increased the wages began to fall little by little it was easy to discover the reason of this too many pilots were being made it was nice to have a cub a steersman to do all the hard work for a couple of years gratis while his master sat on a high bench and smoked all pilots and captains had sons or brothers who wanted to be pilots by and by it came to pass that nearly every pilot on the river had a steersman when a steersman had made an amount of progress that was satisfactory to any two pilots in the trade they could get a pilot's license for him by signing an application directed to the united states inspector nothing further was needed usually no questions were asked no proofs of capacity required very well this growing swarm of new pilots presently began to undermine the wages in order to get berths too late apparently the knights of the tiller perceived their mistake plainly something had to be done and quickly but what was to be the needful thing a close organization nothing else would answer to compass this seemed an impossibility so it was talked and talked and then dropped it was too likely to ruin whoever ventured to move in the matter but at last about a dozen of the boldest and some of them the best pilots on the river launched themselves into the enterprise and took all the chances they got a special charter from the legislature with large powers under the name of the pilots benevolent association elected their officers completed their organization contributed capital put association wages up to two hundred and fifty dollars at once and then retired to their homes for they were promptly discharged from employment but there were two or three unnoticed trifles in their bylaws which had the seeds of propagation in them for instance all idle members of the association in good standing were entitled to a pension of twenty-five dollars per month this began to bring in one straggler after another from the ranks of the new-fledged pilots in the dull summer season better have twenty-five dollars than starve the initiation fee was only twelve dollars and no dues required from the unemployed also the widows of deceased members in good standing could draw twenty-five dollars per month and a certain sum for each of their children also the said deceased would be buried at the association's expense these things resurrected all the superannuated and forgotten pilots in the mississippi valley they came from farms they came from interior villages they came from everywhere they came on crutches on drays in ambulances any way so they got there they paid their twelve dollars and straightway began to draw out twenty-five dollars a month and calculate their burial bills 
by and by all the useless helpless pilots and a dozen first-class ones were in the association and nine-tenths of the best pilots out of it and laughing at it it was the laughing-stock of the whole river everybody joked about the by-law requiring members to pay ten per cent of their wages every month into the treasury for the support of the association whereas all the members were outcast and tabooed and no one would employ them everybody was derisively grateful to the association for taking all the worthless pilots out of the way and leaving the whole field to the excellent and the deserving and everybody was not only jocularly grateful for that but for a result which naturally followed namely the gradual advance of wages as the busy season approached wages had gone up from the low figure of one hundred dollars a month to one hundred and twenty-five and in some cases to one hundred and fifty and it was great fun to enlarge upon the fact that this charming thing had been accomplished by a body of men not one of whom received a particle of benefit from it some of the jokers used to call at the association rooms and have a good time chafing the members and offering them the charity of taking them as steersmen for a trip so that they could see what the forgotten river looked like however the association was content or at least it gave no sign to the contrary now and then it captured a pilot who was out of luck and added him to its list and these later additions were very valuable for they were good pilots the incompetent ones had all been absorbed before as business freshened wages climbed gradually up to two hundred and fifty dollars the association figure and became firmly fixed there and still without benefiting a member of that body for no member was hired the hilarity at the association's expense burst all bounds now there was no end to the fun which that poor martyr had to put up with however it is a long lane that has no turning winter approached business doubled and trebled and an avalanche of missouri illinois and upper mississippi river boats came pouring down to take a chance in the new orleans trade all of a sudden pilots were in great demand and were correspondingly scarce the time for revenge was come it was a bitter pill to have to accept association pilots at last yet captains and owners agreed that there was no other way but none of these outcasts offered so there was a still bitterer pill to be swallowed they must be sought out and asked for their services captain blank was the first man who found it necessary to take the dose and he had been the loudest derider of the organization he hunted up one of the best of the association pilots and said well you boys have rather got the best of us for a little while so i'll give in with as good a grace as i can i've come to hire you get your trunk aboard right away i want to leave at twelve o'clock well, i don't know about that who is your other pilot i've got i s why well, i can't go with him he don't belong to the association what it's so you mean to tell me that you won't turn a wheel with one of the very best and oldest pilots on the river because he don't belong to your association yes i do well if this isn't putting on airs i supposed i was doing you a benevolence but i begin to think that i am the party that wants a favor done are you acting under a law of the concern yes show it to me so they stepped into the association's rooms 
and the secretary soon satisfied the captain, who said, "'Well, what am I to do? I have hired Mr. S. for the entire season.' "'I will provide for you,' said the secretary. "'I will detail a pilot to go with you, and he shall be on board at twelve o'clock.' but if I discharge S., he will come on me for the whole season's wages. Of course that is a matter between you and Mr. S., Captain. We cannot meddle in your private affairs." The Captain stormed, but to no purpose. In the end he had to discharge S., pay him about a thousand dollars, and take an association pilot in his place. The laugh was beginning to turn the other way now. Every day thenceforward a new victim fell. Every day some outraged captain discharged a non-association pet with tears and profanity, and installed a hated association man in his berth. In a very little while idle non-associationists began to be pretty plenty, brisk as business was, and much as their services were desired. The laugh was shifting to the other side of their mouths most palpably. These victims, together with the captains and owners, presently ceased to laugh altogether, and began to rage about the revenge they would take when the passing business spurt was over. Soon all the laughers that were left were the owners and crews of boats that had two non-association pilots. But their triumph was not very long-lived, for this reason. It was a rigid rule of the association that its members should never, under any circumstances whatever, give information about the channel to any outsider. By this time about half the boats had none but association pilots, and the other half had none but outsiders. At the first glance one would suppose that when it came to forbidding information about the river these two parties could play equally at that game. But this was not so. At every good-sized town, from one end of the river to the other, there was a wharf-boat to land at, instead of a wharf or a pier. Freight was stored in it for transportation, waiting passengers slept in its cabins. Upon each of these wharf-boats the association's officers placed a strong-box, fastened with a peculiar lock, which was used in no other service but one, the United States Mail Service. It was the letter-bag lock, a sacred governmental thing. By dint of much beseeching the government had been persuaded to allow the association to use this lock. Every association man carried a key which would open these boxes. That key, or rather a peculiar way of holding it in the hand when its owner was asked for river information by a stranger, for the success of the St. Louis and New Orleans Association had now bred tolerably thriving branches in a dozen neighboring steamboat trades, was the association man's sign and diploma of membership and if the stranger did not respond by producing a similar key, and holding it in a certain manner duly prescribed, his question was politely ignored. From the association's secretary each member received a package of more or less gorgeous blanks, printed like a bill-head on handsome paper, properly ruled in columns, a bill-head worded something like this, Steamer Great Republic, John Smith Master, Pilots, John Jones and Thomas Brown. Crossing, soundings, marks, remarks. These blanks were filled up day by day, as the voyage progressed, and deposited in the several wharf-boat boxes. 
for instance as soon as the first crossing out from st louis was completed the items would be entered upon the blank under the appropriate heading thus st louis nine and a half feet stern on courthouse head on dead cottonwood above woodyard until you raise the first reef then pull up square then under head of remarks go just outside the wrecks this is important new snag just where you straighten down go above it the pilot who deposited that blank in the cairo box after adding to it the details of every crossing all the way down from st louis took out and read half a dozen fresh reports from upward-bound steamers concerning the river between cairo and memphis posted himself thoroughly returned them to the box and went back aboard his boat again so armed against accident that he could not possibly get his boat into trouble without bringing the most ingenious carelessness to his aid imagine the benefits of so admirable a system in a piece of river twelve or thirteen hundred miles long whose channel was shifting every day the pilot who had formerly been obliged to put up with seeing a shoal place once or possibly twice a month had a hundred sharp eyes to watch it for him now and bushels of intelligent brains to tell him how to run it his information about it was seldom twenty-four hours old if the reports in the last box chanced to leave any misgivings on his mind concerning a treacherous crossing he had his remedy he blew his steam whistle in a peculiar way as soon as he saw a boat approaching the signal was answered in a peculiar way if that boat's pilots were association men and then the two steamers ranged alongside and all uncertainties were swept away by fresh information furnished to the inquirer by word of mouth and in minute detail the first thing a pilot did when he reached new orleans or st louis was to take his final and elaborate report to the association parlors and hang it up there after which he was free to visit his family in these parlors a crowd was always gathered together discussing changes in the channel and the moment there was a fresh arrival everybody stopped talking till this witness had told the newest news and settled the latest uncertainty other craftsmen can sink the shop sometimes and interest themselves in other matters not so with a pilot he must devote himself wholly to his profession and talk of nothing else for it would be a small gain to be perfect one day and imperfect the next he has no time or words to waste if he would keep posted but the outsiders had a hard time of it no particular place to meet and exchange information no wharf-boat reports none but chance and unsatisfactory ways of getting news the consequence was that a man sometimes had to run five hundred miles of river on information that was a week or ten days old at a fair stage of the river that might have answered but when the dead low water came it was destructive now came another perfectly logical result the outsiders began to ground steamboats sink them and get into all sorts of trouble whereas accidents seemed to keep entirely away from the association men wherefore even the owners and captains of boats furnished exclusively with outsiders and previously considered to be wholly independent of the association and free to comfort themselves with brag and laughter began to feel pretty uncomfortable still they made a show of keeping up the brag until one black day when every captain of the lot was formally ordered immediately to discharge his outsiders and take association pilots in their stead and who was it that had the gaudy presumption to do that 
alas it came from a power behind the throne that was greater than the throne itself it was the underwriters it was no time to swap knives every outsider had to take his trunk ashore at once of course it was supposed that there was collusion between the association and the underwriters but this was not so the latter had come to comprehend the excellence of the report system of the association and the safety it secured and so they had made their decision among themselves and upon plain business principles there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in the camp of the outsiders now but no matter there was but one course for them to pursue and they pursued it they came forward in couples and groups and proffered their twelve dollars and asked for membership they were surprised to learn that several new bylaws had been long ago added for instance the initiation fee had been raised to fifty dollars that sum must be tendered and also ten per cent of the wages which the applicant had received each and every month since the founding of the association in many cases this amounted to three or four hundred dollars still the association would not entertain the application until the money was present even then a single adverse vote killed the application every member had to vote yes or no in person and before witnesses so it took weeks to decide a candidacy because many pilots were so long absent on voyages however the repentant sinners scraped their savings together and one by one by our tedious voting process they were added to the fold a time came at last when only about ten remained outside they said they would starve before they would apply they remained idle a long while because of course nobody could venture to employ them by and by the association published the fact that upon a certain date the wages would be raised to five hundred dollars per month all the branch associations had grown strong now and the red river one had advanced wages to seven hundred dollars a month reluctantly the ten outsiders yielded in view of these things and made application there was another new by-law by this time which required them to pay dues not only on all the wages they had received since the association was born but also on what they would have received if they had continued at work up to the time of their application instead of going off to pout in idleness it turned out to be a difficult matter to elect them but it was accomplished at last the most virulent sinner of this batch had stayed out and allowed dues to accumulate against him so long that he had to send in six hundred and twenty-five dollars with his application the association had a good bank account now and was very strong there was no longer an outsider a by-law was added forbidding the reception of any more cubs or apprentices for five years after which time a limited number would be taken not by individuals but by the association upon these terms the applicant must not be less than eighteen years old of respectable family and good character he must pass an examination as to education pay a thousand dollars in advance for the privilege of becoming an apprentice and must remain under the commands of the association until a great part of the membership more than half i think should be willing to sign his application for a pilot's license all previously articled apprentices were now taken away from their masters and adopted by the association 
the president and secretary detailed them for service on one boat or another as they chose and changed them from boat to boat according to certain rules if a pilot could show that he was in infirm health and needed assistance one of the cubs would be ordered to go with him the widow and orphan list grew but so did the association's financial resources the association attended its own funerals in state and paid for them when occasion demanded it sent members down the river upon searches for the bodies of brethren lost by steamboat accidents a search of this kind sometimes cost a thousand dollars the association procured a charter and went into the insurance business also it not only insured the lives of its members but took risks on steamboats the organization seemed indestructible it was the tightest monopoly in the world by the united states law no man could become a pilot unless two duly licensed pilots signed his application and now there was nobody outside the association competent to sign consequently the making of pilots was at an end every year some would die and others become incapacitated by age and infirmity there would be no new ones to take their places in time the association could put wages up to any figure it chose and as long as it should be wise enough not to carry the thing too far and provoke the national government into amending the licensing system steamboat owners would have to submit since there would be no help for it the owners and captains were the only obstruction that lay between the association and absolute power and at last this one was removed incredible as it may seem the owners and captains deliberately did it themselves when the pilots association announced months beforehand that on the first day of september eighteen sixty one wages would be advanced to five hundred dollars per month the owners and captains instantly put freights up a few cents and explained to the farmers along the river the necessity of it by calling their attention to the burdensome rate of wages about to be established it was rather a slender argument but the farmers did not seem to detect it it looked reasonable to them that to add five cents freight on a bushel of corn was justifiable under the circumstances overlooking the fact that this advance on a cargo of forty thousand sacks was a good deal more than necessary to cover the new wages so straightway the captains and owners got up an association of their own and proposed to put captains wages up to five hundred dollars too and move for another advance in freights it was a novel idea but of course an effect which had been produced once could be produced again the new association decreed for this was before all the outsiders had been taken into the pilots association that if any captain employed a non-association pilot he should be forced to discharge him and also pay a fine of five hundred dollars several of these heavy fines were paid before the captain's association grew strong enough to exercise full authority over its membership but that all ceased presently the captains tried to get the pilots to decree that no member of their corporation should serve under a non-association captain but this proposition was declined the pilots saw that they would be backed up by the captains and the underwriters anyhow and so they wisely refrained from entering into entangling alliances as i have remarked the pilots association was now the compactest monopoly in the world perhaps and seemed simply indestructible and yet the days of its glory were numbered first 
the new railroad stretching up through mississippi tennessee and kentucky to northern railway centers began to divert the passenger travel from the steamers next the war came and almost entirely annihilated the steamboating industry during several years leaving most of the pilots idle and the cost of living advancing all the time then the treasurer of the st louis association put his hand into the till and walked off with every dollar of the ample fund and finally the railroads intruding everywhere there was little for steamers to do when the war was over but carry freights so straightway some genius from the atlantic coast introduced the plan of towing a dozen steamer cargoes down to new orleans at the tail of a vulgar little tugboat and behold in the twinkling of an eye as it were the association and the noble science of piloting were things of the dead and pathetic past end of chapter six